As an assistant engineer at Abbey Road Studios in the late 60s, a young Alan Parsons was just beginning his journey into a successful career in music that has spanned several decades as an engineer, producer, musician, educator, and actor. His story and his work have been heralded by many industry peers as well as fans. From lending his engineering talents to projects with the Beatles, the Hollies, Paul McCartney, not to mention his contributions to Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon, to his role as producer with such acts as Pilot, Al Stewart, and Ambrosia, to his work with Eric Wolfson and the Alan Parsons Project, Alan Parsons has undoubtedly delivered a legendary career in the music industry. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Alan Parsons. Hey, Alan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, hey, nice to talk to you. How you been? Good. You know, we're thinking about your career, and it's you know it's so vast. There's no way we can cover you know half of what we'd like to talk about you know in the short time we have with you today. But but we do want to start by going back a little bit to your roots and chatting you know a little about your musical upbringing. And you know, your mother and father were entertainers and musicians themselves, right? They were. Uh, my my mother was an actress. My father came from a, a family of actors. Um, um, and they were both musicians as well. So, mm-hmm. just just as an aside, I've I've just started taking uh, <laughs> at the tender age of sixty four. I've just started taking acting lessons. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that's um, that's you know something something new for me. You know, <laughs> had enough of this musical stuff. I'm going to try and get into the movies now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in in hindsight, when uh, when I was thinking about your lineage and when you look back on it, do you feel as though you know, you took away a great deal of influence from, you know, this talented family of yours, and did, you know, these influences ultimately shape you as a musician and, and an engineer and a producer? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, uh, I can't say specifically what or when or how. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think every, you know, every musical, every every experience that you have in the entertainment business is to a degree an influence, I think. Sure. Even, even the... Uh, perhaps more especially the the bad stuff, the stuff the stuff that that uh, you do, you don't like, or when things go wrong, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, I I know exactly what went wrong, uh-huh. so I'll make sure that I don't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you've also mentioned that uh, Roy Wood, who is um, if anybody recognizes the name, he's an original member of of ELO. Um, you know, he, you do include him as someone you've mentioned in the past that uh, was pretty influential in terms of. Your songwriting and uh, and musicianship, uh, you know. What I did think you... so. I mean, Roy, Roy is a is a real genius. I mean, mm-hmm. he can pick up any instrument and play it and uh, play it well. And uh, he has uh, incredible songwriting ability. I mean, he had so many hits over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, not only with the early years with Yellow, but with the Move. You know, his his own stuff. I mean, I mean, the, the standard of his songwriting is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he and I, I uh, you know, have a sort of mutual admiration. He, he admires me as an engineer, and I admire him as a as a songwriter and performer. So we 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 had some good times. You know, in the '60s, uh, when you were a teenager and, and honing your skills as a musician, and you know, performed live. I think you were even in a blues band. And and, and I'm curious uh, to know about your interest in engineering. I mean, we and actually, I want to spend a little time talking about engineering because you know, we all know you landed you know, this gig at Abbey Road as an assistant engineer. So tell me a little about how you got that gig, and, and uh, did you have prior engineering experience? I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a tape recorder in the family. My, my dad <laughs> bought, uh, you know, one of the uh, first available uh, tape machines, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the consumer when I was a, when I was a tiny baby, mm-hmm. um, ostensibly to record me singing in my bathtub. <laughs> um, he uh, so I, I I 
had experience with, you know, um, recording to a degree. I used to record radio plays with a cousin of mine. And we would uh, insert music and cut the tape up and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I did start as, a, as an amateur engineer, if you like. And then um, when I left school, I got a, my first job was, one of, one of my first jobs was uh, working in a tape uh, duplication department for EMI Records. Mm-hmm. And I was in a plant in West London, and that uh, that had direct connections with uh, the studios at Abbey Road because they would we would uh, get master tapes sent from Abbey Road to to duplicate for, uh, for abroad, and you know make, to make copy master tapes for record factories abroad, and uh, for uh, duplication to the predecessor of the uh, compact cassette, which were reel to reel quarter inch tapes. Right. It, and they were really good sounding. They were excellent, uh, excellent quality of those tapes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then cassettes came along, and it got worse after that. <laughs> and then came MP3. You know, we always choose the worst formats. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All this technology and everything we can do to make you know <laughs> sound so much better, and, and we sort of bastardize yeah, it. And <laughs> it's all about miniature, miniaturization and speed. Yeah. And and being cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Alan, I love the story about, um, and you've probably been asked this before, uh, about you being asked uh, to help out with the legendary Beatles rooftop sessions uh, for Let It Be. And uh, me and Rick were just talking about this, and, you know, I guess it, it, it was pretty windy on that one day and one of the mornings, and when you recorded, and I think you had, one of your solutions, if we recall, was was uh, that you went out and bought a, a pair of, uh, of, I guess, pantyhose, and you put them over the mics. I guess you had to do anything to make it work, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we... Um <laughs> We just didn't have the, you know, the regular foam pop screens. Yeah. Uh, to, or, or at least if we did have those, that they weren't really doing the job. So we needed uh, further screening. And uh, yeah, I was walking out to a walking out to a, a ladies' wear shop and asking for a pair of stockings. I was given some quite strange looks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, during that period, I mean, I mean, obviously, I I recall now. Granted. I'm I'm about a generation behind, but there. And I, I'm an actual I'm an engineer myself. I have my own studio, but I was curious about, you know, the popper stoppers and windscreens and things we have now. I mean, did, were there were they available around? You know, during that time, were people manufacturing those, or was it when you needed to cover the mic for wind and adverse conditions? Were you just sort of you know playing it by ear as you did in that situation? I I, I think there were there were you know foam uh, foam pop stoppers and. Uh, the uh, the ones we used to use on the big uh, large diaphragm mics yeah. were, were metal ones, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think you know the the concept of the uh, panty hose on a coat hanger uh, principle, uh, which is which is still often used in the yeah, absence of any, it is uh, yeah more pretty looking. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't think that started really until, until perhaps the nineties actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, you know, I've been uh, engineering since, you know, the early 90s. And, you know, I've seen, you know, just, just since during that time, I've seen quite a, you know, obviously some major changes in, in the industry. And I was thinking about your career and having been an engineer since, you know, the late 60s. I mean, you've encountered so many technological changes in engineering and recording. And I've, I've always assumed you've been, you know, pretty quick to embrace new technology throughout the years. You know, at least that's my assumption. But do you typically give new technology a chance to grow before you dive into it, or are you a pretty early adopter? Uh, I think um, when, um, when you know, the number of tracks available on tape machines was, was increasing daily, <laughs> I was always there. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. when, uh, when 
16 track became 24 track. I was I was there right at the beginning, and mm-hmm. uh, I was an early adopter of digital tape machines. Um, not not only the early stereo uh, PCM <laughs> Sony system, but then yeah. ultimately the uh, the 24 track machines. I actually invested in a pair of uh, Sony 24 track digital machines, which was a huge investment at the time. I mean, they were they were more than eighty thousand pounds a piece. Those machines. Yeah, were those the Dash machines? Yes, that's right. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the whole situation changed when uh, when ADAT happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And the, the Tascam uh, ATAC. So I, I, I invested in a, a bank of uh, six of, of, the, uh, of the Tascam machines mm-hmm. and uh, got rid of the, the Sony's. But, uh, you know, they... <laughs> It literally sold for only a few hundred pounds, you know, like <laughs> tens of thousands. Um, and uh, now, of course, it's all hard disk. There's, no, there's not a tape machine in sight. And uh, of course, I I went with that. I perhaps a little slower than most, but um, I have not really um, kept up with uh, hard disk recording technology and plugins and so on. I, I uh, mm-hmm. I still prefer to do things the old school way and uh, have a have an assistant do all the uh, computer work. Mm-hmm. You have to be really adept with um, with the software you're using to, to make it to, to be fast and to to take uh, full advantage of all the capabilities. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just uh, really feel you have to be doing it all day every day to to have that uh, to have that ability. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm happy just to leave people. These people who know what they're doing to do, to do that job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't get paid to click a mouse. I get paid to uh, move mics and tell people what what's wrong with the performance and so on. Right. Right. That's that's a really good point. Um, you know, because uh, well, despite technological uh, progress, you know, some things in the you know in the process sort of remain the same, such as the art of of listening and developing your your ears to sound and what you hear. Um, you know, what else would you say has been a constant, uh, you know, with engineering, Alan, and recording over the decades that you've been in the business? What, what has remained a constant, did you yeah, think? Yeah, other, other than the art of listening to the music and developing your ear to, to be... Uh, uh, I think know. one thing that's remained constant is, is my, my wish that um, musicians play together and interact with each other. Right. Which um, so many people do not... Uh, do not do. They, they, you know, they think you can get just as good a result by recording a click and a bass line and then adding a keyboard part and then adding a mm-hmm. guitar part and then adding a vocal and stuff. I mean, you know, there's not enough uh, bands recording together. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just about to launch into a, an album with a British band called Electric Litany. Hmm. And they're very much a band and they are going to play together and I'm looking forward to that. I also, um, just for the record, I just finished a, an album with Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree. Yeah, right. And that was uh, that was absolutely a very, very talented band just playing together. It was, it was gorgeous. It was wonderful. Wonderful to record such, uh, such a talented bunch of people. Well, you know, um, you brought that up, and it was something I was going to ask you about later, because I know that's a, a current project you're work, you've, you've worked on, and... Uh, uh, and again, that's Steve Wilson uh, of the Porcupine Trees, and it's called The Raven Has Refused to Sing, I think is the title of that album. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and, and your relationship with Steve and, and how that all came together? Well, Stephen wanted, um, he wanted, I think, a, a retro sound. He, he, he said he was, uh, 
I think, uh, had enough of, you know, modern uh, recording techniques and, and, mm-hmm. and modern uh, sounds. He just wanted somebody who had experience like me uh, in recording in the uh, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, we we um, hadn't met until the first day of recording. We, we, we Skyped each other and chatted and talked about things, but uh, mm-hmm. we actually met for the first time on day of the, of the recording. It's done, uh, done out here in California at uh, a famous studio at, uh, in Los Angeles called East West Studios. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Used to be the um, used to be Western recorders and you know, had a lot of history. Uh, right, right. Huge history out there. Bill Putnam, Bill Putnam uh, of Universal Audio stuff like that. So he was looking for a vintage sound, but how, did you did you record it on tape or did you was it a digital recording? No, no, that's. <laughs> I think that was the only thing that um, that perhaps was not retro. We, no, we recorded to, to Pro Tools. And, uh, oh, okay. And uh, most of it was actually recorded to um, to Stephen's demos. Uh, the, the basic uh, structure of all the songs was already there, mm-hmm. so we uh, we just had the band play to, to a, a rough demo, which he did. He'd, uh, he'd actually done most of the vocals as well. Oh, very cool. Uh, ahead of time, so uh, we had the, the wonderful uh, advantage of having really good vocals to, to play to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that was, a, that was a, a real luxury, actually. Well, here's a. This is an interesting segue because I did have a couple more. I wanted to spend a couple more minutes on engineering, but you know, you know, you said Steve wanted sort of a ventured sound. Uh, and, and my next question was about you know comparing. You know, when you compare a well-engineered album. You know that was recorded and mastered, say back in the '70s and '80s, with you know albums that are being recorded and released today. You know, one thing that seems to be missing from music now, or at least recordings, are the dynamics. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like the life is being squeezed out of so much of the music that's being released these days. And you know, and I, I mean, I don't know what your approach was with Steve or how you approach a recording, but you know, is this loudness? Is this being done for the sake of just simply being loud? I mean, what, what's the what's the reasoning behind? It's, um it's just pressure by labels. I mean, it's nothing to do with the music. It's just, uh, I mean, we we uh, absolutely did not uh, think about dynamics on, on Stephen's album, and it has a huge dynamic range mm-hmm. and sounds all the better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my philosophy is if it if it sounds louder, if it sounds quieter than the other record in your collection, then turn it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, I don't see it as being a competition. The war, you know, just, uh, I, I think dynamics add excitement and uh, it makes the whole sort of process of recording much more fun to have dynamics. And, and it, if it's if the meters are always, you know, almost hitting the red, it's very tiring. Mm-hmm. It's much more, much more tiring to listen to. Whereas if you have dynamics, it, it has has real value. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan, staying on the topic of engineering, tell us a little bit about, and you alluded to this a little earlier, about your master classes. And I understand that uh, these are live workshops uh, in Nashville and L.A., as well as uh, you have a collection of a DVD, too, that, uh, that you, uh, you yeah, produce. I mean, the, tell the us. master classes have essentially been in support of the uh, DVD series, mm-hmm. which is called The Art and Science of Sound Recording. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody's interested, there's a, there's a website dedicated to it called artandscienceofsound.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you, you mentioned L.A. and, and Nashville. Yes, we, we, we've, we've uh, done uh, a couple of things in L.A. We've done, uh, done sessions in, uh, in South America as well, Buenos Aires. 
And we've got one coming up this weekend in, in Las Vegas. So if anybody's uh, interested in that, be sure to check it out on the website. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, a two-day event in, in Vegas, and it's going to be uh, all instrumental, no vocals. We're going to do a, uh, you know, a new, a new uh, instrumental piece, which I will have finished by the weekend. Oh, very <laughs> cool. <laughs> so I'm in the, in the sort of writing mode right now. Mm-hmm. As, soon as, I, as soon as I hang up from you, you guys, I'm going to go into the studio and try and finish it up. Well, we'll try not to keep you too much longer. I know you got a lot of work, but oh no, no problem, no problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I enjoy these these master classes, and it's a really good opportunity for um, you know pros. That, uh, but most of the people that, that subscribe to these uh, classes are actually already pros. Just, mm-hmm. You know, pinch pinch an idea to uh, the idea or two from me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And see, you know, just see how how I do things as, as opposed to, and see how it differs from the way that that, that they do things. Yeah, I think that's important, you know, to, I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes as an engineer, you sort of get trapped into doing something the same way every time. And it's, it's good to see, you know, uh, an alternative. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know. There, there are heroes of mine that I would love to be a fly on the wall and watch them. Watch yeah, them all, you know, it really works. Absolutely. And, um, you know, people pay good money to do that if, it, if, mm-hmm. if, if it's designed for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the DVD set is pretty comprehensive, and it covers, you know, just to give a, a quick little idea of what it covers, it literally every major, you know, avenue of recording from studio acoustics to mics, you know, processing, instrument recording, and, and so much more. And I even noticed, Eddie and I noticed that a, a past guest of ours, Simon Phillips, who, you know, he's an excellent engineer himself. Uh, he, he's on, he, I think he's explaining on that set how to get a great drum sound. Uh, he is a great engineer. He has a, he has a really nice studio um, in the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles. And um, I actually worked with him uh, oh, just a month ago with a, a new track. Mm-hmm. He's, he's great, yeah. I mean, uh, the nice thing about going to his place is, I mean, you not, you not only get a great drummer, but you just know you're going to get a great sound as well. So. Mm-hmm. It's worth every penny of his not inconsiderate price. <laughs> not <laughs> inconsiderable price. Should I well, that was a Freudian slip, inconsiderate price. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> No, he's great. I, yeah. um, he's a bit, of course. We're, we're, all, we're all buddies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Amazing drummer. Well, as an engineer, Alan, you know, you've worked with, with many, you know, the, the Beatles, Hollies, Pink Floyd, and, and, uh, and other incredible talent uh, that passed through Abbey Road. And we, you know, here at Internet Side MusicCast, uh, we recently uh, interviewed uh, uh, Al Stewart. And uh, and you played an integral uh, role in producing his wonderful album uh, Year of the Cat, and uh, we've always sort of wondered uh, your crossover from engineer to actual producer, and was that a natural progression uh, to going from one to the other? I, th- I think it was it was very natural, really. Um, I mean, uh, after after Dark Side of the Moon, um, I sort of seemed to have established a reputation, um, not only as as an engineer, but uh, as an engineer who would not keep his mouth shut, <laughs> 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 always had I always, I always had ideas, you know, yeah. to, to uh, improve uh, every production I'd worked on. Mm-hmm. So uh, becoming a producer was yeah was a very natural step. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was very fortunate uh, in that uh, the first few productions I did uh, were, were successful. I mean, I had a top five hit with uh, with Pilot here in the states. Right, yeah. Um, Is that Magic? And Magic, that's right. Yeah. And um, two other British acts, uh, Cockney Rebel and John Miles, did very well over there. Didn't really break over here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Al Stewart um, was perhaps the first sort of uh, departure from pop. You know, uh, Cockney Rebel, John Miles, and, and Pilot were all very, very much 
in the pop vein. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd, I'd always loved uh, folk rock, and folk, you know, folk music and folk rock. So uh, Al was, uh, was a, you know, I think a really good, uh, uh, I'm really, really glad he found me. <laughs> when yeah. I find him, he found me. So uh, that was that was it's and uh, we 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 made three albums together. Year of the Cat was the second. Yeah, yeah. The, the first the first album, which I actually personally prefer, it's called Modern Times. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful piece. Yep. Great, great moments on that record. Yeah, but uh, you know, three albums with one artist—that's that's usually enough. Right. <laughs> <laughs> time, time to move on after that. Next. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's like a like a marriage it's like a, it's like being in a band and you know getting to you know becoming right becoming uh you know, getting tired of each other you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know Alan, like a long tour we, we never tour for more than three weeks yeah we start disliking each other if you go to I think that happens a lot in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Alan, you, you're a keyboardist at heart, and, and uh, I'm a keyboardist too, and, and I've seen all the, the whole uh, history and the technology changes from sampling to whatever. And But you have a very interesting project that you're working on with uh, Sonic Reality's Dave Kersner, and uh, it's called The Sample Project. And for tell us a little bit, for the keyboard players out there, basically what, what kind of a sampling project this really is. It's, it's not necessarily just sounds, but you're trying to capture some nuances of, of performances as to how you approach it. Can you tell us a little bit about this project? Well, it's, it's still in development, really. I okay. mean, we've, we've, um, we've done some, uh, some, some drum recording, we've mm-hmm. done uh, some uh, guitar recording, you know, just, just doing it in the, in the way we would have done it back in the day. And um, although it's nothing to do with my um, sample collection, we, we actually had Nick Mason come into a London studio and, and record his drums. Mm-hmm. So we worked together again for the first time in 40 years, which was, which was great for us. Yeah, cool. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 his uh, drum collection is going to be on the, on the same, uh, same label, Sonic Reality. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, it's a little early to say what, what form uh, my sample collection will, will form. You know, it's going to be a mixture of, you know, the standard instruments and, you know, a few effects and, it's just uh, maybe little snippets of, of stuff that, that will we'll harken back to you know, the, the projects I'm pa- perhaps best known for, mm-hmm. including the APP, you know, early, early APP stuff. Good. Very cool. Well, hey, I'm respectful of your time, and I, I want to jump ahead because there's a lot of current items to cover, and, and especially in terms of your music. And uh, the Alan Parsons Live Project is kicking off a, a Greatest Hits World Tour, and it looks like... Uh, you're going to be uh, at the studio at Palms in Las Vegas on February 1st, and and uh, you have several shows in Florida coming up as well. And and then in March, you're headed to Europe. I mean, give us a little hint as to what fans can expect from your shows this time out. The the, um, the February the first thing is, is the Masterclass. That's not a gig. Oh, it's not? Okay. But All right. We, but we are back in Vegas um, uh, later, later in the month at uh, Boulder Station. Oh, okay. I saw that on the schedule, and I wasn't sure if that was a gig or a Masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, we've got uh, six shows in Florida and uh, two shows on the West Coast, one in Nevada one, and, uh, and uh, in Vegas, of course. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, another one in, uh, in wine country, Napa, California. Okay. So looking forward to hitting a bottle of wine after that show. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not before the show. 
<laughs> so this this concert that we understand in Clearwater on February 15th is one note. And this one, uh, from what I understand, will be filmed and it will also include a, a, a symphony orchestra backing you and I understand a pretty incredible light show. We've, um, we've sadly had to, uh, had to pass on doing the, the video shoot because we couldn't get... Um, when we researched it, we couldn't get enough good camera positions, so uh, we've we've shelved that idea. But it it, it is um, it is going to be an exceptional uh, show because it, it's uh, with um, about 25 orchestra pieces, uh, strings, brass, woodwind, you know, and percussion, uh, and um, we do have uh, a laser uh, a laser spectacular uh, system coming in. Very so, cool. Uh, yeah, it'll be. Uh, a pretty, a pretty amazing sonic and uh, an incredible display of sound and light, if you like. Very nice. Hey, Alan, have you always got? Have you always been involved in the the full uh, production? You know, the music side, but also the visual side too, and uh, technology of of the light shows and I, that kind of stuff. Uh, only in that I, I know, I know when it looks right, and, mm. and, and and you make it look right by getting the best technicians. You know, mm-hmm. We have a great lighting director, Martin right. Thomas been with us for a few years and he uh, he's really got his finger on the pulse he, <coughs> and he's he's just got a really good eye and, and a really good ear as well it's actually very important for the lighting guy to have a good ear because he, he has to you know create the mood with the light that uh, that, is, that, that, that emanates from the music mm-hmm. and uh, he he never misses a cue he's always he's always got the, a light on the right guy mm-hmm. and, uh, has the right mood in the lighting and that's so important well, um, and just going back to the, the concert itself, uh, for fans who want to come out and check the show out, what are they going to hear? Is it, is it more of a greatest hits kind of show, or how deep will you go into your, your catalog? Um, we, we, we play the hits. Um, yeah. I mean, when we have orchestra, of course, there's, there's, there's a, a much uh, greater opportunity to, to do some of the uh, more adventurous uh, tunes. So we'll, we'll be playing Silence and I from Iron Sky, which uh, you know, has a, makes, makes a big feature of the orchestra. And then, uh, essentially, yeah, it's, it's a hit show. Yeah. Uh, well, very cool. I look forward to that. Maybe, maybe Eddie they would, and I can. Uh, they would ask for their money back if we didn't do. Uh, <laughs> <Brian Gaines> <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And I guess this. Let's year... face it. Every band plays greatest hits. I mean, <laughs> no, I think only Steely Dan has ever gone out and played, you know, songs nobody's ever heard before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was very disappointed when I saw them. You know, what about do it again? What about? Uh, and you know this year also marks uh, it's a pretty significant year because it's not only the 35th anniversary of iRobot but uh, it's the 40th anniversary of uh, the dark side of the moon right yes Um, I'm I'm inundated with requests for for interviews about dark side (laughs) I'm sure you are yeah (laughs) no real benefit in it it for me uh, and that's I've been unless it's a really big magazine feature or stuff I've been Right. Avoiding saying yes to this, and that's why we stayed away from it today. <laughs> you uh, well, that's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan, we we really appreciate and your the next question. So, what was it like to work on Dark Side of the Moon? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, come on, tell us. Could you please, please, please? <laughs> no, you know, Alan, that's we really too long ago. Forty years is too long. My memory doesn't. My memory stops exactly forty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just like everybody else, then, you know. <laughs> 
Well, this has been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I'm sure our fans are uh, going to get a kick out of uh, hearing this interview, and we appreciate your time, Alan. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks. Uh, please send me a link to this, will you, uh, when, it, when it goes out? We yeah. definitely will. No we definitely problem. will. And, and uh, maybe sometime, you know, sometime in the future we can reconnect with you again. I, we had so many things we wanted to talk about, but we knew we had a short amount of time, so maybe we can try this again sometime. All right. Well, there's always the 40, 41st anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> when we will ask again, what was it like to work on Dark Side of the Moon? <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Alan, thanks so okay, much. Okay, you're most welcome. Take, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Special thanks to Alan Parsons for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, and Scott Sheriff for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>